Which territory dispute used alliteration and latitude to gain support? We'll discuss that today on Footnoting History. Hello, and welcome to Footnoting History. This is Elizabeth, and this episode we are discussing my favorite slogan over a territorial dispute, 5440 or fight. A slogan that became popular in the 1840s over the Oregon question, or what to do with the Oregon Territory. Yes, I just said this slogan is my favorite. And, to be quite honest, it might be one of the few territorial dispute slogans in existence, but really, how can one top the alliterative 5440 or fight? You can't. This slogan is so beloved that it is the name of a Brady Bunch episode, multiple blogs, and a 1991 song by Dead Moon, a now defunct American punk rock band. Having said that, if you disagree with my choice of territorial dispute slogan, I'd love to hear your suggestions for which one you think is better. Please comment either on our website at www.footnotinghistory.com or our Facebook page or our Twitter with the handle History Footnote. I look forward to a rousing debate more contentious than whether Seward's purchase of Alaska was truly his folly. Spoiler alert, I say no. And with that, we're off topic. So, back to 5440 or fight. To fully understand this slogan, we need to review 1. What territory was in dispute? 2. Why the territory was in dispute? 3. When the dispute reached an alleged crisis point? 4. Who came up with this awesome slogan? And five, how the dispute was rather unexcitingly, but probably for the best resolved. Yes, friends, it's a multi-part episode today. All right, then. What territory was in dispute? The area in dispute was land in the Pacific Northwest that comprises modern-day Washington, Oregon, and British Columbia. Well, that seems straightforward enough, so on to question two. Why was the territory in dispute? During the late 18th and early 19th centuries, the United States, Spain, Russia, and Great Britain all laid claim to this land in the Pacific Northwest. At this point in time, Russia still owned what would become Alaska, Spain claimed much of the West Coast, British fur trappers had been living there for decades, and the United States had a country to expand from coast to coast. For the purpose of this episode, though, we're going to start post-1820, by which time Spain and Russia had relinquished their claims to the United States and the United States and Britain, respectively, in various treaties. And, in fact, in 1818, oops, I said post-1820, but give me this one. In 1818, the Americans and British had signed the Anglo-American Treaty, stating that they would share and jointly inhabit this land. Easy peasy, right? Everyone's friends and Bob's your uncle and we're all good. How was the territory governed during this obviously magical, peaceful time? The Hudson Bay Company held most control over the land. In fact, the Hudson Bay Company, which is still in existence and has branded itself as The Bay, Canada's iconic department store. The Hudson Bay Company, like so much in history, deserves its own episode. So, for now, we're going to keep our focus on the Hudson Bay Company and the post-1820 Oregon Territory. I should add that The Bay paid us nothing for this free advertising, but if anyone wants to send me a Tim Hortons donut, I'll take it quite happily. 200 years ago, the Hudson Bay Company was basically the de facto government for a large portion of Canada and the Pacific Northwest, and as befitted it, and was required and was the reason why the British had given it a charter, 
It imposed parliamentary law on the British subjects and tried to keep the Americans under control. This all continued rather well until 1843. I suppose that if there is a crisis or escalation point over the Oregon Territory, which is of course our point three, it begins in 1843. To be fair though, the crisis that eventually led to my favorite slogan, come on, say with me by now, 54, 40 or fight, seemed less to do with what was happening in the Pacific Northwest and more to do with what was happening in Washington, D.C. In 1843, the sparse settlers in the Oregon Territory, sparse because the Hudson Bay Company felt that settlers upset the eco-balance needed to successfully fur trap, well, those sparse American settlers decided that in the political vacuum, they would create their own government. This, however, is going to cause problems in D.C. more than it does in the Oregon Territory. Fourth point, who came up with this awesome slogan? Some of you out there might be saying, why does she keep calling it a territorial dispute slogan? Why not just call it a campaign slogan from the election of 1844? I mean, come on, we all know that. That's what our secondary school history textbook said, and history textbooks are never wrong. Well, friends... I am not calling it an election slogan, regardless of what your textbook said, because the evidence says it wasn't. I know. Many of us grew up the belief that 5440 or fight was created by Polk and his supporters during the election of 1844. I mean, I know Polk's presidency is etched indelibly on all of our memories, but in reality, we have no record of the slogan being used until 1846. This art American myth has actually been debunked for nearly 60 years. Two articles arguing that to believe 5440 or fight was a campaign slogan was to air were published in 1957. But even today, many still believe, teach, and read that it was a campaign slogan. Even the United States Office of the Historian glosses over the difficulty of when this slogan was created by saying, quote, by 1843, increased American immigration on the Oregon Trail to the territory made the border issue a burning one in Congress, where Jingoists raised the slogan of 54 degrees, 40 minutes, or fight, end quote. One would think from that sentence that the slogan was implemented in 1843 or shortly thereafter. So what's the truth? When did the slogan first appear and why does it matter? Oh, come on, guys. I can't even believe you'd ask why it matters. We all know everything in history matters, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Well, back in Washington, D.C., politicians had been using the Oregon Territory off and on in their grandstanding ways until finally, in 1844, the Democratic Party put in their platform that, quote, that our title to the whole of the Oregon Territory is clear and unquestionable, that no portion of the same ought to be ceded to England or any other power, and that the reoccupation of Oregon and the reannexation of Texas at the earliest practicable period are great American measures. Oh, look what they did there. Turns out that the Oregon Territory isn't just about the Oregon Territory, but Texas and getting rid of foreign powers within what we saw as our natural boundaries. And that's not all we were doing. Getting rid of the British and creating a true Ameri Oregon American Territory also helped with the slave question. You see, in the early to mid-19th century, there was a balance of power in Congress between the slave states, meaning those where slavery were legal, and the free states, where, you guessed it, slavery was not. Every time a new state was added to the Union, this balance of power was threatened, and neither the slave nor free states wanted to see their opposition in political ascendancy. By allowing in the Oregon Territory as a free territory, 
It would ameliorate the fallout from letting Texas in as a slave state. In many ways, then, the Oregon question wasn't just about the Oregon Territory. While the Democrats added it to their platform, the Whigs, the name of the opposing political party, never even discussed it because they deemed it unimportant. James K. Polk, Democrat candidate, won the presidency by a narrow margin. While Polk did actually try to get the Oregon question settled in 1845, but the British ambassador rejected it over river claims and Polk, consulted, refused to allow the Secretary of State to return to the negotiation table. Even though the ambassador's superiors were very conciliatory, therefore, throughout 1845, many pro-expansion journalists also published op-eds about how it was all in Oregon or nothing, darn it. The Oregon Territory, however, wasn't actually the most pressing matter on the minds of the American public in 1845. We were busy fighting the Mexican-American War and annexing Texas. In December 1845, not only did Polk state that the British had one year to clear out of the Oregon Territory, but Texas became a state. To further drive home how enmeshed the debates over Oregon and Texas were, consider that Texas became a state on December 29, 1845, and then a week later on January 5, 1846, when Congress convened, the House of Representatives passed a resolution to kick out the British from the Oregon Territory. After all, as one congressman put it, quote, the right of our manifest destiny to spread over our whole continent, end quote, rests with Oregon Territory. I actually want to take a step back and focus on the phrase that the congressman used, the term manifest destiny. Though the belief itself seemed to overshadow the entire expansion of the West, the term was only coined by a journalist in 1845, so just in time for Texas and Oregon to become burning questions in the National Collective. Manifest destiny argued that it was God's intention for the American people to spread throughout the continental United States, or what has become the continental United States, in order to implement this great experiment of democracy. So for five months, Congress debated this question, and it just became more and more heated between the Americans and the British until each side was fortifying for war. Okay, after all that though, how was the dispute settled? I mean, it sounds like the US and Britain are going to war because they're serious at getting the borderline they want. The US even had a war plan. Well, it turned out that the British didn't want to fight. The area was not the economic hotspot it once was. And with the beginning of the Irish famine, the British realized that they needed American wheat and to keep America's happy to get that American wheat. On June 18, 1846, the Senate ratified the Oregon Treaty, which set the boundary at the 49th degree. The vote was 41-14 because it turned out the majority of Congress also didn't want to fight over the territory and were fine with a boundary line that was a clear continuation along the top of the United States. Shocking. And with that, the contentious debate over the Oregon Territory ended not with a bang, but with a whimper. Ultimately, though, it seems to have been the best case all around. Um, Elizabeth, you're saying, you didn't really explain the whole 54-40 or fight thing, which we believe was the topic of this episode. Let me just ruin all of our collective childhoods. It seems possible that 54-40 or fight was not created until April 1846, as I said, in his 1957 article in the journal American Speech, Hans Sperber says that while he was working on a dictionary of American political speech, as one does, he could not find definitive proof that 5440 or fight was actually used before 1846. Similarly, and seven months later, Edwin Miles published an article in the Mississippi Valley Historical Review that said much the same. 
By the way, there is a footnote in Miles' article that he read this paper at a conference in December 1956, implying that he in fact scooped Sperber, but that Sperber and he had no idea they were writing on the same topic. Oh, academic one-upmanship, how I love you. Bygones. According to these two men, the popular story goes that the phrase 5440 or fight was allegedly used in an 1844 speech of pro-expansion Congressman William Allen, but no record of it is in any of his extant speeches. No newspapers used it in 1844 or 1845. There's a story of Andrew Jackson using it in 1837, but no contemporary evidence that the story is true. Sperber also points to other dictionaries that gives the earliest date of the slogan as 5440 or fight. He argues that if the phrase was used before it, it at least did not gain traction in the popular consciousness until 1846. And, he posits, my most favorite territorial expansion slogan wasn't created to promote the idea, but to dismiss it. Say it isn't so. According to Sperber, the earliest record of the phrase in print actually misspells, using PH instead of F, the slogan as mockery of those who won't just settle for 49 degrees and are assisting on 54 degrees for the border. Miles, however, argues that the phrase began with moderates in Congress who were also over the die-hard nature of those calling for 54-40, and it was the moderates who added or fight to drive home where they thought such obstinacy would lead. And then, in the next two elections, the slogan was used by the Whigs against Polk in the Democratic Party because we did settle for 49 degrees. Everyone, I feel betrayed. I don't want a t-shirt that says 5440 or fight anymore. Why is this important? Well, okay, again, everything in history is important, so let's just repeat that mantra to ourselves a few times. In this case, it's important because it's how we got full claim to Washington and also Texas and Oregon, and why Canada now has the wonderful British Columbia, but it's also important because it's how we rewrite history. That which was most likely a derisive name for those who refused to budge on extending the U.S. border into Canada is now in the popular memory an election slogan that helped sail the Democrats to victory in 1844. But as Hans Sperber and Edwin Miles demonstrate, it is always important to go right to the sources and evaluate the evidence yourself. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.